0: I'm Bethany garvin Merkel.
1: I'm Virginia Schuette, and this is Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. It's been a couple years since we launched this podcast to make an advanced user space where we could muse and chat with all of you, and okay, the world's a bit different now. So this season, we're taking a look at the systems of SciComm, what we love, what we work to change, and how trying to change things through SciComm shapes the work that we do and our rants.
0: Applications are now open for SciComm STEP. STEP stands for Sparking Transitions for Experienced Professionals. It's a professional development program we made for beyond beginner science communicators. Program reviews from last fall's cohort blew us away. For example, somebody described the program as so well done, so well thought out, so inclusive, and so supportive. For a full report and all the details on the Spring 24 cohort, make sure you go to our website before application review begins on December 11th.
1: If you want to know more, follow us on social media or get on our email list because you need another email in your (laughs) inbox. We will only send you program and podcast updates. It'll be a fun email occasionally. Pinky promise. (laughs) So let's just think about this for a minute. Part of what is hard about this stage of our career is that we're pretty much making things up all the time. Don't tell our bosses. And every day. (laughs) I think I've kind of outed myself. I was going to say, or do. (laughs) I keep showing up in the office of research with another proposal saying, you should give me money for this. I think it's obvious. That's true.
0: And then in that case, they want to know you've been making stuff up for years. Right. Like, look at all the results. Look <laughs> like how good I am at yeah, inventing so things. I interrupted you, so <laughs> please continue. We're making things up.
1: But. But. Today, we want to talk about caring for and about other people. That's a space
0: where I feel like it's harder to make stuff up because it's like... If I make the best way to evaluate my program that I know of, and it's a new way to like evaluate this new kind of thing I'm doing, it's like, okay, it's the best I could do. But if I care about you and I'm like, here's the best way I know of to care about you, there's part of me that's like, mm, but is it a good way? Or is it just the best I can do? Because I care about this and it matters to me if you care about me back. And like, ah!
1: right. Yeah. And we have really baked in typical ways of talking about and thinking about professional networks and as Virginia likes to rant about, they are <laughs> uber transactional.
0: Yeah, this is a. I, I talk to a lot of people about kind of how you set personal goals, how you chart your own professional development, and so much of it is just talking to people. And so I've given a lot of advice about professional networking, and the typical way that we, as any professionals, I feel like this is not just psychom, but just people who have jobs. Are taught to network professionally is transactional based. So you are taking up someone's time. That's something they're giving to you. And so, is there something you can give back? Like, if you're if you're going to meet someone for tea, um, you know, if they tell you about their program, could you like offer to spread the word? You know, or or are they like, you know, can I like, I don't know, like help you find funding or whatever? And and then even in an informational interview, you know. You're taught that they're doing you a favor by telling you about their thing, and so if you're going to ask them for a favor, you know what can you offer? This, it's it's all based on like cost analysis, basically. And so, what if we remove the constraint that relationships should be transactional in a professional space?
1: Yeah, the thing that I'm really interested in right now is what it takes to be able to be in a genuinely reciprocal relationship with somebody. And that means you're asking for help, yes, but really importantly, you are accepting help. And why does this matter? Personal reasons and also like the world and systems really only change through collective action and community. And the whole rugged individual thing is complete trash. And we need each other for validation and encouragement and checking power and privilege and, you know, making it through the winter.
0: And, and <laughs> making it through the winter. <laughs> I'll help you grow your lettuce if you help me harvest my cows.
1: <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> we can have lettuce burgers. <laughs> exactly. And I'm... Slight tangent warning here, but I just listened to the whole Wilder podcast. So for any of you out there... <laughs> are really into the Little House series, you have to listen to this. <laughs> and I'm, th- I'm just gonna flag here that like pioneer spirit is actually the the misconstrued sort of we can make it on our own in the wilderness nonsense. That's the part that we are talking about resisting and completely doing away with today. I, I was thinking that that one of the things you said a little while ago
0: is being able to ask for and then accept help, and it almost feels to me like we kind of breeze right through that, but that is a big hang up for people because I feel like at least in again we're we're based in the u s a um our society attaches shame and weakness to Needing help and then strength and kind of honor to to powering through. So even if you need help, you know, you didn't ask for it. Those people just offered it. You know, you weren't weak. They were just nice. And it's it's just like that is not a fun way to live. And, and so it's not a, a fun way to do your career either. It,
1: it feels... Feels bad and not effective also. Well, and part part of it is to speak from my own seat and what I understand when I read and observe and listen to other cultural understandings of the world. What we are doing with the rugged individual bullshit is leaning really deeply into the same systemic ideas that have created the problems in the systems that we are all working to change. Colonial, institutional, patriarchal, we know what's best for you mm-hmm. kinds of attitudes of things. There are so many cultural constructs in the world where those notions don't even exist, mm-hmm. right? Where everything is about sharing power and wealth and access and food and shelter, and, you know, and...
0: To make it through the winter. <laughs> to make it through the, the, the
1: giant winter of being a human.
0: So I, I feel like this is, you know, it's easy for me to make that example about burgers with lettuce. Um, but I think this has, you know, this, this really comes up a lot. So I'm thinking about within the last six months, there was someone who... Um, was having a tough time professionally and we were in the same space pretty closely for a bit and i remember someone being like um you know are you like are you able to take on this little bit extra that you're doing because this person needs a little help and i said yes and i said it's not a burden at all and and i loved i'm so proud of myself that i had the words for this because sometimes i have feelings and no words but this instead of a blob was words i said i feel like i am able to be more generous with my professional time than they are right now, by which I meant it didn't matter. Like I wasn't keeping score because we both cared about the same things and I was able to put in more at that time which meant we both benefited by the thing being good and being done. I, I didn't mind it at all. And I actually, um, it gave me the opportunity to be a bit proud of myself. To be like, hey, I was able to do that. And also, this person
1: I care about, like, they're more okay. I, yep. I think, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> Because of it. What you're pointing to for me feels like grand simplification here. But, like, kind of the distinction between altruism and philanthropy. Like, philanthropy is huh. like capital C charity it's the like you know Charles Dickens version of taking care (laughs) of people who don't have stuff because the system has carefully made it so they don't have stuff where what you're describing to me feels more like altruism in a sense of I can help so I will help Mm. period not I should help not they'll help me later, just I can, so I will. And for me, this ties into one of my fundamental notions about relationships, which is that we're not built to be humans. We're not built to be organisms on this planet alone. Definitely we're not built in a way that we can change systems on our own. Yeah. And also we have to look out for each other, right? And relationships where both of those things happen where we are not alone and we are watching out for each other help us not to overextend ourselves and also not to self-isolate or feel isolated it's reciprocal yes it's not i've got your back so you will have mine right i've got your back and you've got mine yeah and that's just how we move through the world and that feels extremely important to me
0: Yeah. I think when I have trouble with that reframing, you know, it's always so much easier for me to extend grace or love to other people than to myself (laughs) because I have the highest expectations of myself. And I tend to fall into that pit of societal, like, oh, but if you ask for help, you're weak. But if they ask for help, like, of course, we're just going to, they don't even have to ask. We're going to give it. And so I I feel Mm. like some of that things we talked about a couple episodes ago about stinking thinking, like this is part of that reframe is like, no, if If I want to give help to the communities of people I'm in, then like I should expect that they also care about me back or else I should look at my role in that community. If I'm, you know, we are privileged enough now in our careers, we're far enough along that we don't have to take all the employment there is just because we need employment. And so, if we're in communities where people aren't caring for each other, and this is one of our core values, professionally and personally, then do we want to be in that community? And yeah, so I, I, it can be hard to extend, you know, allowances and grace and like you know, make it okay within yourself. But I actually feel like it's a really important thing to to work on to be able to exist like that.
1: Yeah, and I I feel like I know people who resist help. Uh, some of them are. Very, very close to me. And I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's some deep hang-up of not actually being able to reciprocate at the same level Mm -hmm. financially or with time or quality of attention or work. It's probably some big mess of all of those things. (laughs) But But I think that it is hugely important to be as thoughtful as we can at our stage in all the work that we do, that it is utterly unreasonable to try to do this alone. Yeah. And it is not helpful to insist on doing it alone. Yeah. Which is, is not, it's not the same as asking for help yes. necessarily. But I guess another way of thinking of it is when you see someone that needs help that they're not asking for, right and or can you be a person who can be helped before you actually ask for help yeah which brings us to the underpants part of the episode
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm so excited about this part now <laughs> your so, are i know so um uh, so we were thinking about this idea that you would put yourself in these communities and grow these communities in a way where you all get to share each other's normal so it, it's it's not just that like oh they need help, you know, okay. But like Beth Ann, if I <laughs> this actually happened. Oh yeah. So Here we let's go. not. If I'm going to commit to this on the podcast. I spent part of our co-working session a few weeks ago yelling at Beth Ann about buying nice underwear because I bought nice underwear like fun. Like not just like hello I'm a beige pair of underpants, but like I'm pink and like that's all. No, that's way too graphic. We're gonna edit that out.
1: Is that too graphic? Also, pink was like not even the fun I part. I know, of but I that can't was, say that the was fun part.
0: the beige part. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I spent part of our co-working session a couple weeks ago telling Bethan that like no one ever taught me how to shop for underwear because it was just like I don't know. You're in high school and Victoria's Secret is the thing, and you just go and you buy like beige, and then you get out because embarrassment and all this stuff. Purity. Which, yeah, which has its own Chastity. problems. Um, this is again too much detail. All right, <laughs> take three. I spent a couple <laughs> minutes, ten minutes, in one of our last co-working sessions yelling at Beth Ann about how I bought like fun underwear, stuff that was like not plain, and it was just like I don't know. I felt better about my whole life, and. We have never talked about underwear before, but it was, like, this sharing of, like, hey, how's your life going? And I was like, you know what? My normal changed a little.
1: In a good way. In a good way. And let's and- also just say, it wasn't that you bought fun underwear. It was also important that it was new underwear. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> Too much detail. Listeners. <laughs> no. My little disclosure here is it has been a minute since I stopped. No. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about you now. We can talk about that yes. <laughs> Anyway. So an important detail to all of this was not just that it was fun underwear, that it was, but that it was new underwear yeah. because that's where Virginia's normal like leaked into what should be my normal, which was that it had been a minute since I had restocked on anything <laughs> except like backcountry bomb-proof wool underwear. <laughs>
0: I mean, you can survive the apocalypse, but it's not going to be any fun.
1: <laughs> and what do I do when I wear white pants? <laughs> Everything I own is black. You underpants. Survive included. the bombs. It's the bomb dust on the outside. Anyway,
0: I feel like we had this moment where we talked about how you don't know what someone else's version of normal is until you are close enough to them that you can just like talk that, that you that you can experience them and how they move through the world. And, and so I think it wasn't that you were like, I only have bomb shelter underwear. Can you, can you help me <laughs> have a little more fun? It wasn't like that. It was just like, because we are close, I had something that, that I did, and it made my life more fun. And I was like, hey, I'm going to tell you about this way that my life got more fun. This may seem like an irrelevant example, but we just want to emphasize that in communities of people who can care about each other... There are exchanges of information that happen that are not transactional at all, but they can make your life better. Yep. Thus, the underpants in the title.
1: Well, and also you got a customized bra fitting and that made me start (laughs) thinking about... I've been yelling at so
0: many people about... You know, okay. Let me just yell at you, listeners. If if you wear a bra, you can have people for free give you like a concierge experience in a store where that you tell them what you like and they bring it to you, and it just makes your whole
1: life better. Okay, done.
0: Now we can move on. Anyway, and not just <laughs> not just what you
1: thought fit you. That was the part that got my attention with Virginia's bra experience. So we're not just talking about. Friends can help you contemplate whether maybe what you need next in your life is cute panties. Oh, you said that word. But you can word. also oh get really high quality, <laughs> customized support for your girls.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And maybe, you know, your professional efforts. <laughs> this cannot continue <laughs> So, said and said. And another thing that maybe we'll just say out loud that we actually mean is a sort of Mr. Rogers version of vocabulary and validation of our feelings, right? What what do we need from the people around us and or what can we share with the people around us that equips us all to better say the things that we need, the things that we are trying to do, and the ways that we are all essential to that
0: I wrote down in our notes for this conversation what if we just said things out loud that we mean what if I see you doing a thing and I've done it a different way and had a different result and I could just talk to you about like I don't know if you need help I'm not sure if this will actually help but my normal is different. And then you weren't like, oh, you see me as weak, I'm offended. And I wasn't like, that's true, I see you as weak, I, I'm offended. You know, what, if, what if we could just say out loud, like, our normal, our experiences, like, hey, let's do this together, let's just pause and think about it, because we care for each other. What if we could just do that? Well, we can.
1: Oh, that's so, true. <laughs> we want to build and work in systems that aren't transactional. And we've been talking a lot about perks of all of that. But there are, apart from, you know, maybe revealing the contents of Virginia's dresser drawers, some (laughs) other risks to all of this too.
0: Yeah, we talked a little bit about when we were prepping for this episode, like what if you're ready to move beyond transactional in a relationship and somebody else is not? Like what if, so then what if, they start to think of you as a burden because they're still keeping score. Yeah. Uh, And you're ready to to not do that anymore so you can just get the thing done according to y'all's capacities. And this feels like another thing where we we can't, from this side of of the microphone, we can't make those decisions for you, but wouldn't it be cool if we were all a little bit more aware of those situations and maybe nudging toward a community of care kind of mindset?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And I think there's a layer to this too where... Haven't we all been like the big sister in some situation where we're like, oh, you need help (laughs) (laughs) and I can help, but then they just totally don't see it that way. And they do see it as a threat or an imposition or another layer of responsibility that they have now or a negative judgment about their own knowledge or capacity. And again, quick caveat. Lots of times we are swooping in in places where we do not know better. Sure. Right? And and that is a whole thing in psychom and science. And social justice. And so many layers of things. So reminding ourselves that sometimes the help that we see needed isn't the help that's needed and the help doesn't need to come from us. But also sometimes somebody really does need help and maybe this this help still cannot come from us.
0: Yeah. I also think, you know, what you're saying touches on a thing that you talk about a lot, that abundance versus scarcity mindset. If if you have this mindset that there's not enough resources or positions or professional opportunities to go around, then maybe if someone tries to help you, uh, you know, it it can feel like a threat because there's only one position for somebody who can do this thing that you're doing. Um, but in in communities and situations where people have an abundance mindset, there's enough professional opportunity to go around, then it's like, well, well, yeah, let's all just get it done. There's enough work, there's enough opportunity, there's enough recognition
1: uh, and professional development from this work that we can all just do it. Right. And I know this sounds super kumbaya and, and really idealistic, but I will also say part of why we're dwelling on this kind of thing right now is that I at least feel like I'm in a position in my professional circumstances where I can actually help people create some of that abundance. Hmm. We're inventing a position and a program run by the person who wants to have the position and run the program right now, and there's a solid chance this is gonna work. I don't know that I would have had any capacity to help that person make this all happen right now. I don't wanna run that program, I do not want that job. I haven't even told them the first thing about how I think they should design the program. I'm just helping them pitch it in a way that gets them a chance of actually doing this. And so it's not, it's not impossible I don't think, for people in mid and advanced career stages in science communication to actually create abundance. I think I'm going to wrap us up by saying to, and
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm really pretty sure you feel this way. We're not just talking about community of peers that we're going to care for. We're talking about everyone in our community. And, you know, we've written language in our proposals about how If we run a program, the people who participate in it are not lesser than. They're not less experts. There's none of this like hierarchical language in the programs that we want to run. Um, But I think my kids in the Montessori school system kind of learned it best. They would come home and they would say, Everybody knows something. Nobody knows everything. Mm -hmm. So I just value the people that you are with, and the world would be better. That's what I want.
1: So over to you listeners tell us what kind of reciprocity do you feel you need
0: right now or underpants you can tell us about underpants we told you about ours (laughs) you've been listening to meteor aren't you glad (laughs) the The very (laughs) honest podcast about science communication with impact and the people doing it
1: (laughs) to join this conversation Tell us what you think about reciprocity and community and where you get your underpants. (laughs) And you can do that on social media. Or you can submit a note on our website, meetyourpsicom.org. Talk soon. That was fun. Definitely (laughs) still our most fun workout.